Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Episode 34 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where all of us talk about the royal wedding and how it's archaic and all of that, but tiaras and princesses, and I don't care about hierarchy, she's Princess Megan, <laughs> goddammit. I'm all, I'm Kristen Lopez, here with uh, Karen Peterson. Hi. And Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Kimberly Pierce was actually at the royal wedding. No, she wasn't. She's at work. Um, <laughs> But I, no, I had think she's to. on a family vacation. Oh, that's right, yeah. that's right. So, which could and be by the, the way, royal in wedding. Honor, exactly. And I think that now, in honor of the royal wedding, we should start just calling each other Dame. So you're Dame Kristen. <laughs> uh, yay! Dame Lauren. Like, I, th- we just need to make this official. I mean, come on. We are I'm, in fact royalty. Exactly. I'm okay. I'm okay doing this. Be like our, our <laughs> reservoir dog style names. Okay, I'm totally a fan. Um, of course, we have uh, an action-packed episode uh, this week talking about news. No, well, we have kind of quasi-garbage men adjacent today, which I thought was, <laughs> was pretty cool. Um, yeah. A mess of trailers and some uh, reviews. We're going to be talking about Deadpool and maybe bitching about Mary Shelley because I have things to bitch about. Um, so let's jump into it. Where do we want to start? I guess we'll start with uh, the oldest news, uh, the thing I added first, which is um, Cannes is ongoing. None of us can afford to go to Cannes, so we're not there, but we get to hear about it. More specifically, we get to hear about the movies that supposedly are awful. So Lars von Trier, who you might know, was supposed to be permanently banned from Cannes after saying Hitler had a couple good ideas. Um, turns out lifetime in France only means about, what, seven years? Sounds about right. Sounds yeah. about right, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Um, and so he was brought back to debut his new movie called The House That Jack Built, which stars uh, Matt Dillon, Uma Thurman, Riley Keogh, I'm assuming other people that were shanghaied into making this movie. Um, and it tells the story of Matt Dillon as a serial killer who proceeds to violently mutilate women and children for two hours. Um, Jessica Kiang did a great, 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 great review of the movie at... One um, of the best negative reviews I've ever read in it my is, life, it I is have to say. The negative review to end all at negative reviews. Um, go over to the playlist and watch, uh, read it if you haven't. Um, but people walked out, people were pissed, and it led to a lot of questions that I had, uh, which is, what would compel you guys, if you haven't done it before, what would compel you to actually leave a movie? Uh, I have not. I have never walked out of a movie, but there have been a couple of times where I thought about it. <laughs> um, and actually, there was one movie that I would have walked out on, but the guy I was with was, like, super into it, and I was being stupid, and I just stayed. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Like, just, if you want to leave the movie, just leave the movie. Who cares who bought the popcorn? <laughs> um and that was me, myself, and Irene because it was so offensive and awful. Oh, I'm not gonna share my thoughts on that movie at all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and and so yeah, I mean, at this point now, like if I watched that movie now, I would totally walk out. So I guess for me, just if it's if it's super offensive and like I just I don't know. I mean, I can't really 
I guess I can't really put a finger on exactly what it would take for me to walk out, but I, I think I'm less less willing to sit through an awful movie now than I have been before, but I'm also more choosy about what I go to see anyway, if that makes sense, so. Yeah, I've, I've walked out of a movie a couple times, um, and most of it has been at the behest of other people, um, so, like, we walked out of the Avengers, the, um, the Uma Thurman refines version because my uh, yeah my I friends like the Avengers yeah my friends just were like this movie's fucking stupid can we leave and I was like I, I was like nine or whatever so I didn't really care um and then we also walked out of was it Patch Adams that my my grandmother was just like I can't stand this movie we need to leave um so those were you know when I was younger it was it was usually like the adult said I don't want to stay and watch this um, the only time I've ever walked out of a movie as an adult was we saw the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. And it was the grossest movie. Not gross from, like, a blood and gore standpoint, but it was the first time that I had actually been upset and disgusted by how the women were treated. And I've seen the original Hills Have Eyes, which which I understand that movie. Um, and yet that movie seemed very tame in comparison. This was right around the... Um, like torture porn era um yeah so it was like just how much can we defile a woman on screen for 90 minutes and mind you i have seen other movies since like the remake of last house on the left and and stuff like that none of them repulsed me on the same level as this movie did um so that's the only time i've ever walked out of a movie and i've seen the fucking killer inside me okay which it sounds like it's pretty much just this movie without the glitzy jim thompson adaptation factor um so you know i think i i'm very interested with the concept of us coming to a point where watching a woman get mutilated for two hours is something that we're not interested in seeing anymore um it did lead to a really interesting discussion led by a male of all people of course um about how if you do walk out of a movie on moral grounds should you be allowed to review it um, and my argument there is questionable. I don't know. Do you guys feel like if you leave a movie at a certain point because it's just so offensive, should you then be allowed to share that, not necessarily in a review, but at least writing about it? Well, I am one of the best, uh, sort of responses other than the actual play, the playlist review, which I think she did stay for the entire She did episode. stay. She did stay. Yeah. Um, because she felt obligated to, because she was a critic. Uh, the, but one of the best other responses that actually starts like the, the title is, this is not a review of Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. And it's by, uh, Casper Salmon from, um, Pajiba. I never know how to pronounce them. Pajiba or Pajiba, whatever. Pajiba, apparently. Uh, and, and he basically, and he admits that he walked out a hundred minutes into the film when the main character begins cutting off the breast of one of the women that he's torturing. And, and that, so that he goes into like why we, you know, we have to make choices about what we see and directors and, and actors and artists, et cetera, make choices about what they represent. And we don't have to choose to represent this kind of violence to, sit and or to sit and watch you know women being mutilated for whatever two i think this film is like two and a half hours long right i i just mm -hmm. like i can't even get my mind around someone making a film that's two and a half hours long that is basically nothing but torture 
And that's the way that it's been described. Like, all of the reviews that I've read, even the positive ones, have been like, this is essentially what it is. It's just violence for two and a half hours. Um, and I also can't get my mind around any people choosing to sit there and watch that for the entire time. So I think that his response was very good. Um, and he does basically say this is not a review because I don't feel I can review this film because I walked out on it and I'm not going to talk about, you know, how Lars von Trier uses the camera or his characterizations or anything like that. I'm going to talk about how repulsive this was and why I left. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it depends upon what kind of a film it is. It says something if a critic who is paid to go see this movie sits there and 100 minutes into the film says, I can't do this. I think that that is, is a legitimate critical response to it, saying like this film is so repulsive and offends me on so many levels. Like it, it takes a lot to get someone to leave a movie. Um, and I do think that for me at least, like the, I don't think I've ever actually walked out of a movie in the movie theater. I've certainly turned off films halfway yeah, through. Yeah, I've done that too, yeah. Usually because I was bored and then there've been a couple of times where I was just disgusted. Um, but it, so it takes a lot for anyone who's like a seasoned film goer uh, to get them to, to stand up and walk out of a movie or to just completely shut down a film and be like I'm not going to do this and I, I think that that's a legitimate critical response to it yeah my, this, my whole oh go on no I was just going to say this, this, this whole thing like the, the response of some primarily men uh, to this film has just been very, very disturbing. Like the number of, of high-profile critics that are coming out trying to basically defend their enjoyment of it is really bugging me. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me wonder how many of those same critics again, because this just sounds like the same movie. Went and saw the killer inside me when that movie came out. I think when the hell did that movie come out? I don't remember it anymore. Good. Because Casey Affleck is persona non grata in my life, but I remember when that movie came out, it was pretty much the same story, and it's like 2010, so eight years ago, um, and it's the same story, it's the same concept of, like, watching women get beaten for 90 minutes, um, only, again, that movie was based on a Jim Thompson novel, um, so I can definitely see, yeah, if you've put in over an hour of your time to a movie, over half, at least half, you know, quarter of the runtime, and you just can't handle it, you know, I, I feel you should be able to write whatever the hell you want. Yeah, I think that it's, it's totally legitimate to write, like Lauren was saying, it's totally legitimate to write about your experience and your your feelings of that movie, what led you to walk out, why you walked out. I think it gets tricky when you start attributing a score to it and contributing to like the Rotten Tomatoes score but even then I think it's still kind of a gray area but I think that if you feel like a movie is so bad that you have to leave I think you should tell people that if you're a if you're a professional film critic that's part of your job to say yeah this is why this movie is so horrible that I had to get up and and I couldn't finish it yeah if, it, if you're feeling triggered for a significant portion of, of time you know, I feel like you should be obligated at least to, to, to write something where you're like, look, it's really going to fuck with people that have issues like that. So, yeah. Well, and, the, and this is like, this isn't just, this isn't like personal triggers. This is the violent torture of women. Right. Like, well, that, and that is what this film is about. 
Just for the sake of it, yeah. When I think a lot of... I love the people that are saying, oh, it's Von Trier. You know, if you look at Von Trier's films, you know, you should know. What do you you expect from him? Well, true. Well, this is why I don't watch his films. I mean, mean, that's, that's a totally true thing, but I do think that we need to start investigating, particularly in this time period when we're we're really talking about the representation of women on film and the men that make movies, uh, we need to start looking at these guys that have been, I mean, Von Trier has been valorized by a certain kind of film bro for years, for years and years. And, and suddenly we're kind of like, you know, maybe we need to think about who we're valorizing and why. Maybe if this is like, well, of course you expect this from Von Trier. It's like, okay, that's a problem. It's a problem yeah. that like we're treating this man's films like they're there's somehow there's somehow this provocative work of art. And and I've seen, I've said this on Twitter, I've seen deeply unpleasant films. I have I have found great value in deeply unpleasant narratives. Sometimes that exists. I I have seen a number of Ontario's films. I have yet to find value in what he produces. I've yet to find value other than than just sort of like, oh, I'm going to represent violence. I'm going to represent misogyny in a pretty explicit way. I mean, he's not veiling it that much, um, even in, in some of his earliest films. Uh, and, and I don't know why I need to experience this. I don't know why this has been valorized. And I, I hate to say it. I think that it says a hell of a lot more about the men who are valorizing him than it does even about him. Yeah. I agree. I'm mad. I'm angry about this. Sorry. <laughs> no, oh, no, no. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Well, moving on to other things that can that have left people angry. Um, so there is this. Um, there's a new movie called Girl out from. Uh, it's from the. Is it from the Netherlands or is it? Uh, I think it's Belgian. Belgian. Thank you, because I I had not heard of this movie. Um, it, it is from Belgium. Thank you. Um, it's a movie uh, about a transgender teenager directed by Lucas Dote. The problem is, is that it stars a cisgendered actor playing a transgendered teen, teen girl. And it's causing a, a uproar. I think it recently won a top prize at Cannes. Um, and yeah. it's leading to... A discussion you'd think we would have fixed at this point, but we have not, regarding having cisgendered or uh, just in general actors playing trans women. Um, we've seen it several times, and we're going to see it again more. I think Matt Bomber's movie, where he plays a trans woman, is coming out soon. Why is this still a problem we can't rectify? I mean, I know why we can't rectify we don't rect- we don't rectify it. Um, it's very much why we don't have disabled actors playing disabled characters. It just seems like Hollywood does not understand that people living having that lived experience understand things better and it's also just like giving a shit about the material. Um, you know, I I just I I always roll my eyes at things like this because this is a problem that has a solution that filmmakers do not choose to employ. Yeah, th- this is about representation. Um, and I've seen a number of uh, transgendered critics on, on Twitter and elsewhere talking about this issue and being very mad about how, how much this film is being sort of raised up, particularly primarily, again, by cisgendered white men. 
uh, as like this this great work of art and this great. Um... I can't believe you would use such a disparaging term like that, Lauren. <laughs> Lauren, oh, really? There's certain. There's certain. I'm not gonna say their names, but you know. <laughs> you don't they, need to. They rhyme with schmerlich. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they, this and it's not saying that this is not a good film, but you know, I completely understand why. I, I saw one uh, transgender critic, and I can't remember who it was right now, talking about this as being similar to blackface, and being like, you know, for a while there, there, there was this tendency to, you know, you would, you could cast a white actor to play uh, a black character, or one of the films that I always think of is a, a movie called The Bitter Tea of General Yen. Um, oh yeah which is a fascinating film as like a sort of historical artifact but you've got a swedish actor playing a like literally playing a chinese general like well we we there's so much of that i mean you look at love is a many splendor thing you Catherine Hepburn and what is it, Dragon Seed? Um, uh, yeah, um, Brand- uh, Mark Brando did it in uh, Tea House of the August Moon. Uh, yeah, and Alec Guinness practically made a career out of it. You know, he played Arabs and he played um, Indians and he the played most, Japanese businessmen. You know, the most infamous is Mickey Rooney, of course, in yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's. So, so it's where it's not just that these actors are putting on other other races. It's that they're they're supposed to be playing a Chinese person. They're supposed to be playing a Japanese person, and and it's. And sometimes they're not the the performances. Mickey Rooney's performance is, is a ridiculous caricature. Um, one of the interesting things about some of Alec Guinness's performances is that they're not caricatures, really, but there's still something deeply offensive about it. And because you, you've got a white actor putting on the face, basically, of a, a another race, and usually a very oppressed race. So I don't. I, I think that we need to approach this issue of, the, of transgender performances. Um, in the same way, you know, we're, you're essentially saying like you're it, it's it's reinforcing the concept that transgendered people like a transgendered woman is just a guy in a dress, uh, and that only cisgendered actors have the right in some way to portray um, the experiences of a very marginalized group. And so it's very problematic, and it's even more problematic when you get sort of white critics. Um, white cisgendered critics saying things like, oh, well, this is a problem, but we, we want to have these stories told. It's like, well, you can tell the stories. Tell the stories by all means. No one's saying you can't tell them. You're just saying hire transgendered actors to portray the characters. I yeah, keep getting it's... up on my soapbox. I'm sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> but, you're, but you're absolutely right. That's the thing. Um, and it's like we have all these actors that want to get into the business, but it's like, okay, because they're transgendered, no one will hire them to play cisgendered characters, but no one's hiring them to play transgendered characters either. So it's like, what are these people supposed to do? So they're even further marginalized. So that's one part of the issue. The other thing, too, is it's like, okay, so you've got Matt Bomer, gonna, he's going to play this character. You've got that other guy who got fired off of his very popular show. I, You know? It's like... They have this whole extra layer of preparation they have to do to play these characters. And even then, it's like, they they can't fully convey it because this isn't their experience. And if you hire someone who has lived this, the level of the performance you're going to get is even more out of this world. You know, it's just going to be incredible. Look at a fantastic woman. Yeah. 
That movie was amazing. And it would not have played nearly as well if it had been portrayed by a cisgendered actor. Well, and and I think that, you know, this just goes towards the representation that I think we've been, at least that I've, I've talked about, you know, it's we know what we know what bad portrayals of of race look like and we know what bad portrayals of of women look like and we're coming to this point where these marginal the more marginalized groups you know now it's not as simple for hollywood at least to be like oh you know we just find a black actor we just find a woman we gender swap you know now we're coming to the point where they actually need to start finding trans trans actors and disabled actors and you know even to an extent asian actors i mean that that glass ceiling is still there um in terms of asian representation you know those are the three big glass ceilings that still exist in hollywood and one of them needs to break so that the other ones can break because at this point it is just laughable and with social media being as big as it is and letting these marginalized groups have a voice i mean you know that's why I, I wish there were more trans critics, more disabled critics that get invited to these press junkets and these interviews because they can ask the questions to these actors and these filmmakers about why didn't you consider anybody? You know, did you consider anybody? Um, how do you feel about the constant criticisms about you failing at representation? I mean, the, the, the cisgendered, able-bodied white male who usually is invited to these things is not bothering to ask that. Um, so yeah, I just I want well, Hollywood to do better. Because that's not what they care about. Right. That's not yeah. what they're interested in. Right. I just want Hollywood to be better. Damn it. Well, and the only way that that's going to happen is for women and people of color and transgender people and disabled people to just force their way in. They're not going to be invited. They just have to kick down the door and come in. Which is yeah. what I've been. Yeah. Karen's seen me kick down a door, so she knows. <laughs> she knows I'm ready. It's true. And, yep. and, yeah, we just have to keep on, on fighting it. And I do think the social media is, is one of those ways that we do it. So, you know, you've got to, it, there's got to be a point at which casting, you know, miscasting people and refusing to cast transgender people in transgendered roles, um, that, that that has to become anathema, basically. They, they have to look at this and be like, if we do this, we are going to get such pushback from the online communities, from social media from critics and we yeah that's just not worth it because at the end of the day it is about money it's not even necessarily about art um you know they can they probably cast matthew bomer because they're just like oh he's got a um he's got some cachet and they didn't think about the fact that you know jared leto got cast as a transgendered character way back for and he won what he won an oscar for it didn't he yeah did um, and it's the same thing. It's like these guys, they're not thinking about it in terms of who should be represented. They're thinking about it in terms of who will bring in, who will bring people and put them in the seats. And we've got to continue to protest against it and continue to raise our voices against it. Both well, and that's, oh, sorry. Tra- transgendered and everybody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think it was Danielle Saltzman, right? Yeah. On Twitter that yeah. was saying, like, well, I just, I won't go to these movies because they don't represent me. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's totally valid, you know? 
So, moving on to other straight white men who suck. <laughs> Peter Bart, who hasn't been relevant in a while. I was surprised to hear his I don't name even pop know up. who that is. Um, who are you talking about? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, he wrote an article for Deadline, which their cachet, too, ain't that great right now with me. Yeah, right. Um, where the headline that says, Why has female empowerment led to so many downer roles for women? Well, Peter... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so he proceeds to bring up three movies. Three movies in the entire, to prove his point, okay? Melissa McCarthy's Life of the Party. Charlize Theron. Which is such a sob fest. Oh my gosh. Charlize Theron and Tully. And Amy Schumer's I Feel Pretty. So he says that even though he's totes down with Me Too, um, and... <laughs> That women, women are awesome. He says that, quote, the female characters they portray in movies lack both muscle and self-esteem. Women need a movement, any sort of movement. They also need help at the box office. So he proceeds to explain that these ladies just aren't smiling enough. Um, <laughs> that, you know, the, the movies are just so bored. They're such a downer. Um, he also throws in book club because that's what I guess because Deadpool is just so happy. Um, but he says <laughs> that his whole issue is is that he wants to encourage filmmakers to quote embrace the aspirations of the Me Too movement. They should also occasionally emulate Maureen O'Hara, who now and then told John Wayne to bugger off. Do not throw Queen Maureen's name in this fucking piece, dude. Don't, don't even do it, okay? So, his whole issue is, is that these movies just have women being glum, chunky sad sacks of sad. Um, and that, why can't they just be happy and embrace their feminism? And, you know, why can't they just be like Demi Moore in Indecent Proposal? I and think what? Peter and I read that movie a bit differently. <laughs> I love that, like, the two movies just, like, just, like, we need to have, like, strong roles for women, like Demi Moore in Indecent Proposal and Striptease. Yeah, it's he's, like, like yeah. the uh, only strong women he knows are Maureen O'Hara and Demi Moore in the 90s. Um, well, I think this is the problem. I think that he, what he's really saying is that these, we these movies leading, with leading women are not naked enough. Well, like, well, okay. Yeah, and... yeah. And he, he's also, he's also like, how dare Charlize Theron go from being delectable in uh, Atomic Blonde to being, decide, you know, dowdy and, and mm -hmm. depressed in Tully. It's just like, well, she's an actress, first of all. She can do both. Uh, and second of all... And she's the only one that can do both. Don't you know that, <laughs> yeah, Lauren? We, we no one that. else can do it. We learned that a long time ago. But then he also, like, criticizes women for for being for getting glammed up and like and Kate Blanchett for saying that women could be attractive and powerful at the same time. It's like, what do you want exactly? Well, and my issue is is he brings up I Feel Pretty, which has nothing to do with it being a downer movie. And he brings up like, oh, Amy Schumer took these hits on social media because of the plot. Yeah, she's taking hits on social media from women, dude. Not because it had anything to do with her blog like her being a downer character it has so much more to do with that and i love how he only quotes women because you know he totally reads women writers and didn't just do a casual search on twitter um but what i i just can't get over is that maureen o'hara and demi moore are his two his two <laughs> examples his two fucking examples you couldn't have compared an apricot 
to a fucking lion. I mean, like those two have nothing to do with other than they both have boobs. And this just so immediately passes over. So, you know, he makes he makes a brief mention of Wonder Woman. And and this did raise an issue for me because I'm like, have we completely forgotten that Wonder Woman existed? That this was one of the highest grossing films, like what, a year ago? Yeah, that, it was in the top three. Yeah, this this is like so we've completely just just forgotten about that movie, and suddenly, man, women are real downers right about now. And this this has happened numerous times. It's not just this guy. Uh, that people are like, oh, we're just going to ignore Wonder Woman. We're also going to ignore all of the praise that was given to the women of Black Panther. Um, yeah, we're we're going to ignore you know the the fact that we've got women who are who are about to d- direct. Um, uh, Harley Quinn movies and all of this stuff. It's like there's there's a broad spectrum of female experience, and some of it is Tully, and some of it is fucking Wonder Woman. Well, and also, I mean, let's point out what I noticed right off the bat. He references Life of the Party, which, if memory serves, is co-written by Melissa McCarthy. It is, and I love how he says she's a mopey mom. That's actually the opposite. Um. I, I swear, I don't think he actually watched the movie. He probably didn't. Um, Tully, Tully is written by Diablo Cody, and I Feel Pretty, I, is that also written by women, I think, in some, I think it's co-written by a woman. Um, so, I don't want to cast dispersions on you, Pete, but notice how you referred to movies that have female writers writing about female experiences, and the only examples you can give of positive depictions are John Ford, who last I checked didn't have any women write his scripts, Striptease, which is written by a man, and Indecent Proposal, which is also written by a man, directed by fucking Adrian Lyne. Okay? I Feel Pretty is written and directed by Abby Cohn and Mark Thank Silverstein. you. I knew there was a woman in there somewhere. So, yep. I think what you're saying is you want men to write about women more. Like, that's, I think, what it boils down to. Like, women can't write about themselves because it's like, eh, my period, my sad sack life, and wah. But you want men to write about it because it's like, gyrating on a pole, tits everywhere, ass in your face. That's gay feminism. Yeah, women are not adequately performing for him basically. Right, and, and exactly. This, this is a really common response and we've seen it from a lot of male critics um, mm-hmm. having having the same sort of response that like, and it does seem funny that, that women begin to get a little bit of power, you begin to get some depiction of like different kinds of existence for women and immediately all the male critics are like, well this isn't really empowering though is it? It's this false performance of, of feminism which is essentially like the only way you can be empowering is by being incredibly sexual my favorite thing is when men feel the need to tell me how to feel about how women are portrayed on yeah. screen yep uh, and and my other thing too is he also brings up book club and acts like he's like you know these women are I'm not really sure what he's complaining about with book club is he complaining about the fact that it's for older women who want to go have sex because they read Fifty Shades of Grey or is it that he can't wrap his head around why people would find that shocking? I, I'm not, I'm not really I'm sure. I'm not really what, sure because, okay, it if me, it's yeah. one, the concept of like, oh, how shocking that these women want to go have sex, like, dude, Pete, you're 80 some odd years old and you're married three times. 
really? You want to question why, like, older women want to go have sex? And B, <laughs> if you're questioning how, ho- like, audiences, like, this isn't new, ladies, you know, this isn't weird to see. Why don't you, not good, Karen, I'm not doing this on purpose. Go look at that list of, of age discrepancies between Tom Cruise and all the women that have been his girlfriends, okay? And wonder why Hollywood doesn't want to see movies about women over 45 having sex. Either way, you're wrong, is what I'm saying. So. <laughs> well, he's really, really offended that uh, the women... I have not seen Book Club. I, I have not either. I to see it, because I love those women. But um, he, he complains twice about the fact that they seem to take Fifty Shades of Grey seriously, which is an interesting... Uh, it's an interesting criticism, because one of, the, one of the criticisms, primarily from men, about Fifty Shades of Grey was that it was appealing to the the middle-aged to elderly demographic of women readers who read romance novels and that it was for you know there are all kinds of problems with the book and with the movies and everything but it was actually making women of like older women women who are supposed to not be considered sexual talk about their sexuality and experiment with their sexuality and it's really interesting that, that we've got this this male critic being like, "How? Do, what do you mean these women are taking these things seriously? It's just like, well, they are. And this is something serious. And it is a fact that, you know, older women, middle-aged women, any woman who is not particular, who does not fit into your demographic of what you think a woman ought to be, actually do think and talk about sex and want to have sex. And he seems to be incredibly offended by that. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. I really want to. In fact, I might go this afternoon. Um, my only issue with book club has not been the content. It's been the very pale cast. <laughs> True. But, yeah. So, but yeah. Pete, maybe you should just smile more and shut the fuck up. That's all. That's really all I got. I, that's really all I have for you. And I'm a woman who has read your books. So, like, dude, really? Like, I feel bad now. Um, so, I'm, oh, okay, so, the last bit of news that we have, we're coming up on the first half of the year, how does this movie year stand for you guys? Because we're already getting the discussion of this year blows for movies. Which is so silly, because, A, it's May. (laughs) We're getting Um, into June. (laughs) We've already had, this year we've already had Black Panther, which was amazing, Wrinkle in Time, which I will not let anybody tell me that that movie is bad. I love it. I mean, I think that so far, compared to previous years, I think at this point in the year, we're doing okay. And I am not worried about 2018 being a bad year for movies. So I'm going to take the opposite route because I, I kind of do think this is hasn't been the best year. I was looking at, at the list of movies that I've seen so far and I mean part of that might just be me becoming a more discerning cinephile but I feel like I don't really know what's coming out the rest of this year um and that a lot of things just have not been as appealing to me um like it feels like a very slow start I mean we we did have Black Panther in February and we had Wrinkle in Time. I mean, we had a pretty good... A quiet Place. Quiet Place. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had, like, one or two big movies every month. But it just feels like the rest of the month has just been... And we're getting into the summer season, and I can't tell you what the hell is coming out this summer. 
Um, I don't know if that's a lack of marketing on like what I'm watching during the day or what, but this has felt like a very muted year for me. Well, first of all, I think you, okay, first of all, you don't watch a lot of TV. You've talked about that. Second of all, a lot of the movies you watch, you're going to screenings where you're not seeing previews. True, but I mean, I and... still have like the release date calendar up. Yeah, but I mean, there is a ton of stuff coming up that I keep seeing previews for, and I get all this stuff sent to me all the time. Like, I think that there's some really exciting movies coming up in the next couple of months. You've got, um, well, first of all, Fallout is going to, and I say this not just because I love Tom Cruise. Like, everyone, like, I get so excited every time I see that trailer around other people, and they're excited for that movie. So you've got that. Um, I don't think the Jurassic World is going to be any good. Um, sorry, I need to pull up a calendar because right now off the top of my head I can't think of anything. But I think that the thing is that traditionally the first half of the year has never really been um, solid. There, It's usually you don't get a lot until after, like until around April. And... The fact that we now are in a time where big movies are coming out in January and February, this is this is still yeah, this is still pretty new actually. Yeah, I can um, I can tell you I've seen I've seen twenty one movies this year. Released from, from twenty eighteen. Twenty twenty one, twenty eighteen movies. And yeah, like the state of you know what, what part I've... of my yeah, part of my list is just because of the fact that I got to go to Sundance, so I saw a couple of things that haven't come out yet that are going to be good when they do come out later this year. So that helps, but yeah, there, there are definitely films that I'm really looking forward to that aren't necessarily the, the big releases, but I mean, just in terms of the big releases, we had black Panther in February. Like you said, we have, um, we have had infinity war, uh, mm-hmm. a quiet place, uh, solo, um, oceans eight, you know, we've kind of hit, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be any weaker than in previous years. Um, and right. certainly Black Panther was as much an event as, like, Wonder Woman was. Um, and, and for that matter, so is Infinity War, even though I didn't particularly like it. We've also had some interesting, there are other interesting little bits and pieces mixed in there, like Annihilation, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but which was a very different kind of film. Um, we've got a number of horror films coming out, A Quiet Place, uh, Hereditary, which I'm incredibly excited about. I cannot wait to see that. I get to uh, see that at uh, the end of the month. Uh, sorry to Bother okay. You. Yeah. Um, uh, films I'm like very Tully. excited for that. There's, there's a- <laughs> Mama Mia, here we go again. Oh my again. god, no, yeah. stop with that. No, stop with that. Stop. Here we yeah. go, go then. No. I can't wait. <laughs> Um, Teen I, Titans Go! I mean, come on, Kristen! I mean, and to, uh, just looking at things like Mary Poppins Returns, Mission Impossible... Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced that when the fall rolls around, I'll be happy again, because I think like 90% of what I'm waiting for is in fall. I'm just... I don't know. Somebody had brought it up, so I was kind of like looking back at what I'd seen so far, and I was like, yeah, I have maybe like three or four good movies that I've seen so far, and then the rest is just like... I saw that. <laughs> my in my top five so far for this year, two have not been released yet. So the other three are Infinity War, Black Panther, and A Quiet Place. <laughs> Ooh, I haven't I mean, even. I mean, if I had to list my five just like right now, it would probably be Black Panther, Quiet Place, American Animals might be in there because I just can't think of anything else. And then like four and five, I I probably have to go back and look at see. 
I'm sure a couple 2017 releases that came out this year aren't included on this list I'm looking at, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, for me personally, I am very rarely excited about the big summer releases. Last year it was Wonder Woman, this year it was Black Panther. That was pretty much it for me. Um, I'm really excited about Ocean's 8 because I think it's going to be awesome. Um, but I, I haven't noticed particularly that this year has been any better or worse than like last year or the year before. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving right so you're along. You're wrong. <laughs> you are wrong, Kristen. You sit there and be wrong, and you're wrong. I'm, yeah, I'm okay no with surprise. that. Surprise. I'm okay with wrong. that. Um, so moving on to um, some other things. So we have Solo coming out uh, next week, and of course, just the Star Wars universe doesn't rest. So there was talk very briefly of. Uh, Star the, the Star Wars universe greenlighting a Lando Calrissian movie starring Donald Glover based off of how much people loved him in Solo. And then almost immediately, Kathleen Kennedy said, nope, we're not really considering that. No, 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 okay. <laughs> it was a misunderstanding. It was a language barrier issue. <laughs> she had said that she would like to explore that at some time. And they took it as that's the next that's the next movie that she's gonna do and that wasn't what she was saying at all and but i mean i get that i get that my issue is is why wouldn't you immediately green light that it's predominantly based on what i've been seeing people talk about regarding solo he's kind of the highest point like why wouldn't you immediately want to capitalize on that and say yeah we're making that movie and it would also help dispel the notion that like star wars is predominantly led by white people (laughs) Well, it's kind of funny because I have seen Solo already, and I didn't really think Lando was the highest point of that movie. It definitely did. (laughs) It definitely did leave me wanting to know more about him, but he's actually not in it as much as you think he's gonna be. Sorry to burst your bubble on that. God damn you! (laughs) (laughs) I want to quote one of my my good friend Nanina Gilder, who I talked. But I haven't seen Solo. I have no idea what my feelings are going to be about it. I still think he's too short. Um, but one he of definitely but is. one of the things that she has said several times to me when we were chatting about this the other day uh, is that Lando has the more interesting arc. Period. And and it's true if you just look at it as, in terms of what we know about the character. Lando goes from being a a gambler, right? This kind of low level gambler to governing his own planet. And now that's an interesting arc for someone to go through so why are we not exploring that you know han solo goes from being a smuggler to being a a smuggler like his arc is really in the original trilogy and that's you know he goes from being this sort of 'er ne'er-do-well roguish smuggler to uh becoming a hero and so that that makes sense so i don't know why we wouldn't want to see a Lando movie or to talk about Lando as a character just because on the sur- on the surface like he's more interesting. Oh, I completely agree with that. And actually even to further that point, if they insist on doing these origin movies, which actually I think if they're going to do a Lando story, it does need to be what he did from the time he met Han to the time that he's running Cloud City. But um like that is you're right. That's where the story is for him. Um I don't understand why they were so insistent on doing this Han story because for me personally 
of the original main three, the one that I thought had the most potentially interesting backstory was Leia, yeah. who goes from being a senator's daughter to leading a rebellion. Yeah, it, it does feel like we're sort of, oh, we've got to focus on the white men first. Yeah. And and that's that seems very stupid, especially especially given that these guys have, that the other characters have more interesting backstories on the face of it. Yeah. And I don't think that that's necessarily, like, the conscious no. reaction or reasoning behind it, but it's definitely what's happening, and it's it's it doesn't make any sense. So, I haven't seen Solo, I have no opinion, I just know that I want Donald Glover in a cape. That's all I need. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just give me that and I'm good. Well, he's certainly an interesting actor to watch. I would be perfectly willing to watch him for two hours. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, I definitely would. We all know this. Uh, <laughs> so moving on to our last bit of comic book news. So um, the president of my Marvel, whose name I'm not going to pronounce because I get his last name wrong. Is it Feige? Is it? I don't know what it is. Um, but he okay. had, <laughs> he had come up with this concept of uh, wanting to do diversity beyond uh, Captain Marvel. And that he, there was, quote, definitely sort of in the works to turn the life of Kamala Khan, uh, who is Miss Marvel um, in the Marvel Universe, into a film post-2019. Well, Riz Ahmed... That's Ms. Marvel okay. to you. <laughs> I'm just gonna just go with that. <laughs> um, Riz Ahmed was really excited about this because um, Kamala Khan is a Muslim superhero and he wants to write screenplay and then he I guess tweeted Mindy Kaling and Kumail Nanjiani about working on this so Mindy Kaling looks to be the only one that responded so I don't know they're they're just talking about it um this is not anywhere official but would we be interested in in seeing a a Ms. Marvel movie uh written by these two yep oh yeah I'm gonna say yeah. I mean, ordinar <laughs> ordinarily, I'm against a guy being like, "I can write a movie. I should be allowed to write a movie." But like, I'm not gonna fault him here for that. At least it's not a white guy saying that. I'm just gonna let yeah. that pause hang there. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I think yeah. I mean, I think regardless of who's saying it, the fact that they want to or are considering moving forward with this storyline, I think, is interesting on to start. And even if it was a white dude saying, yeah, I want to do this movie, like, even that's fine. He can want to do it. What what becomes potentially problematic is when he believes that he's the only one who can. Yeah. And so in this situation where you've got a non-white dude saying, hey, let's make this movie. And who wants to help me? That's where I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, nothing... Yes, uh, nothing official, yeah. but we remain hopeful. So moving on to some trailer talk. Um, a, lot, a couple of good trailers came out. I'm going to let Karen go first because I know she was very, very happy because the trailer for Destination Wedding came out. Karen, what is Destination Wedding and why are you so damn excited? Destination Wedding is the culmination of all the happy things that just bring joy to life. It is Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves reuniting on screen. And at first they hate each other and then apparently they fall in love because of course they do. <sighs> it looks delightful. They both are on their way to a wedding that is in 
the beautiful part of California. And they run into each other, and they're like, at first they're all, bleh, ew, I don't like you. But of course they like each other. And what's not to like about that? And I can't wait. I, I just want Karen to describe movies from now on. <laughs> 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 um, so, but will they have accents drawn from Bram Stoker's Dracula is what I want to know. Because I would be so happy if Keanu had his really crappy English accent. Um. Well, they are going into wine country and apparently drinking a lot. So I'm hoping some of that just kind of sneaks in there. I love how the only part of Northern California funny. is wine country. Um, I, when when you well, said yeah. the, romant- the the most beautiful part of California, I was like, San Jose? No, of course not. Um, <laughs> of course not. Well, what I think is hilarious is that they fly into San Luis Obispo Airport. I was like, um... <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not really a place it's gonna be one of those things but, where like okay. a map comes out showing like they went the long way around to get somewhere or a, a route that doesn't exist um <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> i i do not have like the happy excitement um to see winona and keanu reunited i like each of them individually but i i don't have the um like excitement for this i mean it looks it looks like a cutesy rom-com um we need more of them certainly so yeah um and winona mm-hmm. Ryder deserves a comeback damn it yes right because she never went anywhere so what is she coming back from <laughs> okay there, i'm feeling a lot of hostility <laughs> right now <laughs> uh, as, as, per, as per usual Kristen is wrong <laughs> um this is very exciting and it's going to be amazing. And I personally would like this to be a part of the John Wick universe. So oh my god, that would be great! Yes, like John Wick is like, oh, is this I'm a on, prequel? I'm on. No, I'm on the run from you know all of the crap that went down. But it's just like, but I've been invited to a wedding. I have to go. And it's rated <laughs> so, R. Yes, I demand. It's an R-rated rom com. I kind of support that if if it's like going to get crazy. See? Um, yeah, I see. There you go. I I love these two actors, and they have become. I didn't like them for a while, quite honestly, but they they really are just charming on screen, and I would love to see them together again in like an actually good movie. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, I I think that we need more just we need more just straightforward romantic comedies like good strong romantic comedies and i'm totally for this it's directed and written by victor levin who wrote win a date with tad hamilton which is the only movie of his i've seen we won't hold that against Uh, him i will hold that against him (laughs) um it comes out august 24th so moving on to another uh movie that should make you happy because it's got happy in the title and I know it will make Karen happy. And yet. <laughs> um, the Happy Time Murders finally released the tra- a, a trailer, which proved to me that this movie actually exists. Happy, The Happy Time Murders is uh, supposed to be a detective movie involving uh, Melissa McCarthy and a puppet uh, co-star. And supposedly these um, puppet characters on a tv show end up being murdered and the two must work together to solve the crime um it's re- it's directed by brian henson who is the son of jim henson this movie Kristen, let's just call this what it is it's an r-rated who friend it Rock is it essentially is all right yeah you're exactly right um i've been following this project since it was announced henson's been trying to do this 
for I think over a decade. Um, Catherine Heigl, Catherine was, Heigl was supposed to, to originally do it, and I was very interested in that. And then I think um, when she became like America's worst enemy for reasons, um, it was supposed to be um, star somebody else. I forget who else was involved. And then Melissa McCarthy's been with the project the longest. Um, and it actually got a trailer. So, I'm of two minds about this movie. I, I think the concept of an R-rated Who Framed Roger Rabbit with puppets would be a lot of fun. The problem that I have is that I feel like this could become Sausage Party, which would just be gross for the sake of, oh great, isn't it great to watch puppets do really inappropriate things? And if that's the case, then I could just watch the reruns of Crank Yankers on on comedy yeah. central um i love team america world police i think that movie is hilarious um and i was with this trailer up until the final image it's a red band trailer by the way <laughs> and i was like okay i know it the audience knows it's silly string that they're shooting in the air it goes on for about a beat too long though and i was like we get it this the puppet is jizzing all over the place. Like, I don't care at this point. Um, so I don't know what Brian Henson finds humorous. I'm guessing it's not the Rainbow Connection. Um, but I'm cautiously, I'm, I'm like more, okay, I'm morbidly curious. I kind of need to see this just because I've waited to see what this movie would look like and I just need to know that it exists. Am I the only one who has anything up less than vitriol for this movie? <laughs> Oh, I, I am actually, I'm right there with you. I think that I was interested in this right up until the, the final, the final sequence, I was like, that's gross. Um, so the, the big question there is, is this going to be primarily that kind of humor? Or is it going to be more than of what the, the rest of the trailer shows, which is sort of, yeah, gross and R-rated humor, but also, uh, you know, clever and I'm I'm still down for it, partially because I like a lot of the comedians that they've got on here. They've got Melissa McCarthy. They've got Maya um, Rudolph. Maya, yeah, Maya Rudolph. Uh, what's his name? Joe Joe McHale. Yeah. Joe um, McHale, Leslie David Baker mm -hmm. from The Office. Yeah. So those are all very good comedians, and if if they can put it together right, I I think that it could work really well. I'm I'm not. I'm not willing to pass complete judgment based solely upon a single trailer. I actually went back and watched one of the trailers for Who Framed Roger Rabbit from 1988, and I hate to say it, it doesn't look that good. But Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a great movie. It, it, it's, there's a very similar sort of tone going through both of them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I am, I'm optimistic about this. I hope that it's good, because I want it to be. Karen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was super excited for this movie. I thought it was gonna be great because I love everyone involved in it. And that trailer, not just the end part of it, but like the entire trailer, I was just like, okay, I am definitely not the target demographic for this movie. <laughs> like, I, I have a feeling it will be just beyond gross for the entire duration and. I, I agree I do need to see another another look at it before I can really decide, but based on just this trailer alone, I have lost all interest in seeing the movie. Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping it would be more of like a noirish take, much like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Um, 
But, I don't know. Uh, we'll know on August 17th, unless it doesn't come out, because it's all the big uh, trolling fake fake out. Um, so yeah, moving on uh, to... God, where do we go? We want to go with the movie that I, I'm... I think we should go to the eh one next, and then end with the great trailer that we're super excited for. I'm going to assume I know what you mean, and go with Bohemian Rhapsody first. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That is okay, correct. so <laughs> the trailer for Bohemian Rhapsody came out. This is the look at the the years that Queen uh, formed and performed leading up to their concert at Live Aid in 1985, but excluding any mention that Freddie Mercury had AIDS or was a horrible person or did drugs or... I think they're going to include the gay thing. I think that's okay. I think that's okay, but the rest of it's gone. Uh, so... Uh, Freddie Mercury is being played by Rami Malek. It is directed, and I hope that this is not how they're going to sell it. It's directed by Dexter Fletcher and Brian Singer. I think that they think have that, yeah, to because the Singer did so much. Singer, yeah, he had directed enough of it that he gets to make So if um, there is a god up there, hopefully nobody will go see it because of Brian Singer's stupid fucking name, and he'll just go away ever um so um this is another project i'd followed for a long time when sasha barrett cohen was attached to it who i still think we need to weep for the fact that th that movie is never getting made um because i think he would have been perfect Ugh. oh i think he would have been a great freddie mercury i have issues with this as a movie because i know it is sanctioned by the band and the band did have demands mostly they wanted other people to know that there was a band and not just Freddie Mercury. And I don't give a fuck about the other people in Queen. I'm sorry, I don't. Um, so I'm a little skeptical there. Um, the other things they've, they've said they're going to take out or at least gloss over uh, leave me trepidatious. But it looks like a rock biopic. That's all the trailer gave me. Like, the high points, I already know. Um, Rami Malek sometimes looks like Freddie Mercury when he's got the mustache and the hair. Um, young Freddie Mercury, though, I'm just like, it's Rami Malek in a shitty wig. Um, so I'm, I'm like, meh on the whole thing. And I, I really don't want to give Brian Singer my time. Uh, so I feel very conflicted. I feel like I'm going to feel the same way, or at least not, maybe not the same, but similarly with this one as I felt with perhaps something like The Greatest Showman where I know like this isn't a great movie but damn I love the music yeah but The Greatest Showman didn't have a child yeah. molester directed that is <laughs> I agree and I don't and for that reason I don't want to support this but also the child molester did get fired and it's only a technicality that he gets to keep his directing credit if they had their preferences they would cut him off of it completely yeah I, I am unexcited about this I think you know it might be one of those that it's it's depending upon how they do it it might be a good introduction to Queen for some people but my feeling is okay I already have like I can sit down and listen to Bohemian Rhapsody I can listen to all of the Queen albums if I want to I can watch videos of them in concert why do I then want to see other people portraying Queen mm -hmm. Yeah. when I can just enjoy what Queen is. You know, if the, if the only selling point... Right now, the only selling point for me is the music, but I already have the music. Right. So, unlike The Greatest Showman, where, yeah, the selling point is the music, and it's sort of a ridiculous... It's a ridiculous musical. Um, it is in that same sense of, like, well, but you're not giving me anything other than that. 
Uh, yeah. And right now, this is like, and particularly with yeah, Brian Singer, with all the stuff that they're talking about, about glossing over, you know, Mercury, potentially glossing over Mercury's sexuality, potentially glossing over, you know, the the disease that he actually had. Like, they keep on advertising his being, he had a life-threatening illness. Just like, guys, he had AIDS. That's what Freddie Mercury died of. Why are we need to be able to talk about this? Um, he would have wanted us to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And and the the power that the band has had over the the uh, the film itself, which isn't surprising, but it does feel like it's just going to be this very sanitized, whitewashed version of what went down with Queen, and I don't think that that's very fair. So we'll know on November 2nd how people respond to the whole thing. Um, It's definitely got an uphill battle. So, Um, yeah. I think it's going to disappear quietly into the night. Uh, Hopefully not. I mean, the studio spent a a shit ton of money on this. So they want it to be successful, I think, for their own sanity. Uh, But yeah. But that's part of the reason why I say let it flop. Exactly. They understand that doing this to this kind of story is not what people want to see. Amen. I am totally for that. Um, so moving on to the, the best trailer of the, the week, which is Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Um, this is uh, written and directed by Spike Lee. Um, tells the story of a um, black police officer who decides to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan and sends in a white officer to pose as him um it's well oh, go on. it's a little bit more than that so it's based on a, it's based on a memoir by the real guy ron stallworth this is a true story this actually happened and this guy basically got to the point where he was running the local chapter of the kkk and just anytime that he had to have in-person meetings he did everything on the phone when he could but when he had to have in-person meetings then he sent in a white officer to stand in for him yeah all of that so yeah so um <laughs> The trailer looks really good. Um, I've heard a lot of back and forth um, from people. I think there were only a couple black critics who were at Cannes, um, and I think only one saw it, but do not quote me on that. Um, and in the discussions that I've had from, from black critics, they definitely feel that, like, wh- like us, like white liberals are going to be like, yeah, it's revolutionary, and that for most, like, black critics, it's just going to be like, yeah... It's a Spike Lee movie. Um, so I'm very interested to see the response. I think the story is really interesting. Um, and the cast looks great. I'm not big on Adam Driver still. And it's never going to happen. But um, I, I just I have to see how the story plays out. I have to. Yeah. I From the trailer, I'm like, this looks fantastic. And I've never been excited for a Spike Lee movie. Ever. Um, there've been there've been several that I've enjoyed, but I've never been like I am dying to see this movie ahead of time, you know. So, so for that, um, as far as as far as the response to it, I am curious what non-white um, critics will say, and especially audience members. But I mean, there's also the fact that this is written and directed by Spike Lee. Yeah, but so, I mean, if he's not speaking from a white perspective, no. But I think if you look at a lot of black critics who have followed Spike Lee. I mean, they there's a real antipathy from some critics in terms of what he says and, and what he's selling. Uh, it, the couple that I talked to have said that Spike Lee's not selling black movies to black audiences. He's selling them to white audiences and trying to get white minds to change. 
Um, it's it's a really interesting dichotomy of people who who both love and and hate think Spike Lee has gone like backwards or forwards for for the black movement um, and for African Americans uh, rights and stuff like that. There's a lot of really weird um, talk about him that I think is really interesting um, as an outsider perspective. Well, I I mean I'm very excited about this. I I do want to I want. I want to know more from black critics. I want to know what black critics have seen it. I want to see more stuff from them. And I've seen kind of a mix of responses. I think I've, I think there were a few more than just one black critic who, who actually reviewed it out of Cannes. Um, and I know that I've seen a couple of responses that were very positive and I've seen a few that were just like, oh, this is, this is not so great. Uh, so I, w- I want to see more of that just from, one of the things that struck me about this trailer was that it does kind of push certain, you know, certain players like David Duke, who are still players in American politics. And it's kind of reminding us a little bit, and maybe this is, you know, this in some ways this is directed at a white audience, but it's reminding us that that's where these guys come from. There's, there's one scene nearing the end of the trailer where you've got all of these guys chanting America first. And that was a pretty intense moment and it's sort of a a reminder of like this is not coming from this is not something that that the trump administration has made up off off of the spot this is a fascist call this is the call of the kkk and we need to be reminded of that and and i think that that white people do just as much probably more so than black people who have had to constantly live with it at some level, but you know we've kind of tried to ignore it or tried to dismiss it. David Duke endorsed Trump for God's sake, and now we've got him as a character as the Grand Dragon of the KKK in a Spike Lee movie, and I think that 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 is very important. So it'll be interesting to see. I I very much want to see it, but I also really just want to see. Uh, of multiple black critics reviewing it and talking about it and and how they feel about it well and i think that that is a very a very important thing to talk about um the fact that there are so few critics at Cannes that are black that are asian that are any other ethnicity besides white and or race and it's it's so ridiculous and you have Jacqueline Coley who has been there and she was trying to get a ticket and she finally got one but it was it was a struggle to get one because no one was you know no one was making that easy for her and you know it was sold out immediately and no one said no one at any point stopped to think huh who should we make sure is in the audience for this film and I just think that that is so, so ridiculous. And it comes back to, you know, the same types of conversations that we have about who should be reviewing films, who should be writing films, who should be starring in films. It's like, if you really want to get a picture, get a full scope of what these movies are all about, you need to have inclusion in who's talking about them. And Well, and it, it can't just be one black critic because that's right. essentially that because that's tokenism. That's essentially exactly. saying that you know her perspective is if if only if like three black critics review uh, Black Klansman, and the rest of the critics, you know, the rest so another fifty white people do, then that's that's inadequate because you're essentially putting all of the weight on those three black critics for 
you know, some representing their race or something like that. And everybody is going to have a different reaction to it. There's a multi, there's a multitude of reactions. That's why, you know, I'm saying I want to see a whole bunch of black critics reviewing this movie because I want to know, like, if they all say this is fucking terrible, I'm offended by it, then I think that that's way more indicative than, like, one or two people saying this is fucking terrible and I'm offended by it. Exactly. And I think that, and this is what I'm, I'm saying, too, because I completely agree with you. I think that they should have made the point okay, how many black critics do we have here at Cannes? Let's make sure all of them who want to be at Black Klansmen are there. Yeah. Like, that should have been a priority for somebody. PR or somebody should have made sure that they all had the opportunity to be there if they wanted to. Yep, absolutely. Well, Black Klansmen comes out August 10th, and we're all excited for it. So, yay! So, time to talk uh, movies of the week. Um, only one movie that we all well except for lauren uh <laughs> me and me and kim and always except for lauren. <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna talk mary shelley very briefly so i at least we all know that can we talk about that one first yes, let's talk about that one first so i finally got to see mary shelley um the other day you know you finally had to watch mary shelley <laughs> well i had to watch yeah the the link i had expired and then i had to ask for an extension so yeah i was running oh on, i hate doing that running on borrowed time on that one so I finally watched it, sent in my review. I don't know when it's going to go up. Um, and I was very, very upset <laughs> by everything. Um, and I didn't want to be, because Haifa Al-Mansour, who directed it, did watch that, which is a great movie. But I feel that it might not have been to her strengths to go from making that movie to making her English language debut with a movie about the most English of English ladies um, in literature. And that's not Jane Austen. But you would be okay thinking that they were talking about Jane Austen because there's a couple things that I was like, oh, that feels like a Jane Austen thing, not a Mary Shelley thing. Um, so I did not care for this CW look at Mary Shelley's life. Um, I thought Elle Fanning was horribly miscast. She actually pronounces a word wrong um, that irritated me for the entirety of the movie <laughs> because it the fact that it was allowed to stay meant that no one else in the room knew that she had pronounced it wrong. Um, so I was really miffed. Um, or they just didn't care. That, that could be it too, um, but I cared. Um, and I was very upset. <laughs> um, Douglas Booth, if you need a discount basic English white guy with a deathly pallor that kind of looks like Robert Pattinson, you can't afford Max Irons. Um, he does just fine. Um, nobody is the actual like people. Um, and Tom Sturridge is the worst Byron in the history of Byrons. Um, and that's saying something if you know Byron himself. Um, so I, I hated it. I hated this. And it has the temerity to be two hours. And I felt like I was, um, I, I wasn't, like, it's not mute level bad. Um, uh, nor is it Red Sparrow level bad. But I was, I hated it. I hated it so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Lauren, you already talked about it a little bit, huh? I mean, yeah, I, I, I talked, well, I have my, my reviews on the site. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I saw this at Tribeca, so I saw it a while ago. I do not have as, as intense a memory of, like, all of the things that made me mad. But I'm, I'm pretty much right in line with you, Kristen. It was, it was a, it's just not a very well-executed film. The casting is, is all wrong, and they, they seem to cover over and paper over so much that is 
interesting about the Mary Shelley yes. story and about the whole arc of her experience. And I don't know whether they were trying to make it more palatable to a mainstream audience or what, but all of the interesting philosophical stuff, all of the theological stuff, all of just her, the thing, the shit that happened in her life just feels like it's so basic. And then it also suffers as a result of um, playing the whole, the only way that we can talk about the way that a writer works is that everything that she experiences is what she puts into her book. And it's a very difficult argument to make for something like Frankenstein because you're like, ah, oh, yes, this is exactly like we have to we have to draw parallels. So just like so, it's like she's the monster and Shelley is is Frankenstein. It's like no, guys, that doesn't work. Like the 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 analogies that you're making just don't work with the way that the novel actually is. So there's there's this superficiality to it that uh, is very off putting and really does a disservice to to everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like they didn't read the the novel and they expect that the audience hasn't either and that yeah, they're or... basing it off of like some other depictions of the Frankenstein story that are not her work or or any like anything by the romantic poets like mm -hmm. the way that the way that and some of it is the is the performances but the way that like Booth or Sturridge present like their poetry you're like okay wait a minute like you can say all you want to about Byron Byron was uh, horrible in many ways um, but he's also a fascinating character and he was a great poet and so was Percy Shelley so was Samuel Taylor Coleridge you know the, these are major poets and, and they're influenced by the politics of the time by the philosophy of the time by the culture that is changing around them all of this shit, and they're changing it and you're making them a bunch of whiny teenagers yeah like Jesus Christ guys. I mean and, and I think that as 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 an English major who's read, like, literature, I was just even more grossly offended at how... I mean, Mary Shelley's mother was Mary Wollstonecraft. And the entirety of your movie becomes how she wants to please her dad? And she wants to please her husband? She came from the ultra-feminist writer of the decade. And that's what you want to make your big takeaway. That she made daddy happy. Like, that's my, that's my, what was one of my big problems, um, that I had with this. Um, and mostly just the fact that everything just feels like that 2013 remake of Romeo and Juliet, which also has fucking Douglas Booth in it. Um, you know, like, there's literally a scene when she meets Percy Shelley for the first time. It is like every bad teen movie where she literally looks at Maisie Williams and she's like, who is that? Like, oh my god, it's a boy! It's a boy! I've never seen a boy in my life. Um, you know, and he's got, he's all hair product and, like, deadly white pallor because I, I guess you want to sell this as Twilight. Um, and that's not what Frankenstein is about. That's not what Mary Shelley was about. And there, it's, it's also the fact that it's just constructed poorly. There's, like, scenes that you know, you cut to something new and it, three weeks has passed, apparently. Um, six months six has passed. Six months has passed. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to know where we are in their timeline. Right. And Elle Fanning, she's 16 in the movie. She looks 16. But Elle Fanning definitely struggles. She's one of those actresses, I say, that, like, Emma Stone is not going to be good in period films because she's just too modern. Um, so she's, you know, the accent aside, which she struggles with, and the pronunciation of that... It's laudanum, L. It's laudanum, not laudanum. There's not three syllables, it's two. 
Um, that that all aside, she's got one tone, one emotion, one look for everything. Um, there's no passion, there's no fire, there's no spirit in the performance. It doesn't help that everything is a brown color in the movie. Um, Douglas Booth is just like the go-to guy for Regency era. He's just blah. And I don't know why he's the go-to guy because he is so blah. With her though, I really think that with the with the right director, she could have done this and I think she could have done it well. I don't think that I don't think that it's that she was totally miscast. I think it was that she was misdirected. I I'm, yeah, I would agree. I'm going to go with miscast. I'm yeah. Yeah, Douglas Booth is annoying to me on so many levels, but you know, at least he's not any of the three men that I confuse with each other. <laughs> which we already had that discussion um so yeah moving a lot it's not good we all agree which we did finally figure we out did. <laughs> we did we can explain that at the end who the infamous like that guy it's not that guy it's the other guy is um that guy who's in the thing with the with the people yes um see so yeah, it's not the other we guy. all agree don't go see mary shelley just don't just just read frankenstein and read a biography of mary shelley and you'll you'll get a better summation of who she was um so Exactly. So Deadpool 2 came out this week as well. Um, Karen and Kim and I saw it. Um, I don't know what Kim's review is, so I'm sure she'll, she can tell us um, when she's back on again. But you, Karen, you and I saw it. You did not like the first Deadpool, correct? Uh, I think Despised would be more Okay. Accurate. So what did you think about this one? The, uh, and plot in a nutshell, Wade Wilson, who's Ryan Reynolds is um grieving do we is it a spoiler if we say what happens in the first like yeah he's grieving the yeah, loss of his his girl uh wife yeah she she gets straight up fridged um well not fridged but she's she's killed and thus that galvanizes him to do something with uh try to kill himself can't do that so he decides to save a little boy whilst also learning that he might be good at fatherhood in some way i have problems with this plot line well, when you boil it down like that, yeah, it sounds pretty <laughs> stupid. But so I went into this <laughs> I went into this like I did not like the first one at all. Uh it was just too much of everything. It was too much of him talking. It was too much of the um quick paced action and having to like show bloody stuff just for the sake of showing bloody stuff. It was just, just too much of everything and it was super annoying and I just I did not enjoy that experience. And so with this one, I I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to bother to see it because I was not interested. But then someone asked me to, to talk about it on a podcast. So I was like, nah, all right, fine. I'll go, whatever. Thanks, Movie Pass. <laughs> so, uh, so I went the other night and the whole time, like, buying my ticket and going in and sitting down, I was just like, ugh this is going to be awful. I'm not looking forward to this. My friend that I was with was just like, maybe it'll be good. Maybe you'll like it. And I was like, well, I know you're going to like it, but I'm going to hate this movie. And yeah. And like 10 minutes into it, I was laughing. I was just enjoying it. And I was like, what is happening? I don't understand. (laughs) I actually really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It felt like, um, like where the first one I think the problem with the first one just felt like it was trying too hard and this movie it just it it seemed like it kind of understood more of what it was and it didn't feel like it needed to assert itself it was just like I'm just gonna be this this spoof-ish type of just funny movie and 
and it was and i i liked it in spite of myself <laughs> so um i remember liking the original deadpool but i have not seen it since it came to dvd so i don't know necessarily if that means i liked it a lot because i haven't felt the inclination to watch it since um i went and saw this and it took a while for me to get into it because the movie really wants you to know that they got a bigger budget. So everything they did from the first one, which I find funny that Karen brings up that she hated every, you know, so much from the first stuff, I feel they double downed on here. Um, so like the... And I've heard a couple of other people say that too, and I just don't get the it. The meta humor, I think, was the biggest issue. Like everything, every single thing is a wink at the camera. Everything is a dig at Marvel or DC, um, you know, things just it feels like it fe almost in certain scenes to me became like watching one of those like uh the scary movie franchise where it's just like pop culture reference pop culture reference um and it took it it took a while for me to get into it once the plot gets moving though um in the introduction of um julian dennison who plays the little boy um, I, I got into it. So I felt like it was a rough start, and it's really hard to get over the fact that they fucking murder Marina Baccarin in the first 15 fucking minutes of this movie. And I don't care, don't throw out end credits bullshit, no. The movie's plot is that she fucking dies, okay? So thank you. I'm so glad you doubled down on your whole, like, we like women thing by just offing the first woman of the movie. Um, after you guys talk about having a baby, because that's not eye-roll-inducing. Um... Regardless, I did really like Zazie Beetz. Um, I thought she was fantastic and I want her to get her own movie. Um, I, I think she's just flawless in this movie as Domino. Um, it has the best, the best training, uh, like first group training montage. Um, I'm not going to spoil it because I feel everybody needs to see it ever <laughs> in the history of ever. Um, it's got some really great cameos, including Rob Delaney, who plays Peter who's hilarious um he was so funny he's so great he's just so great um i mean almost it becomes ryan reynolds becomes incidental like he becomes ancillary to all these other really great characters that are around him josh brolin's also really good too <laughs> by the way did you catch that super quick cameo that was like if you blink you missed no it? because people have been bringing it up and i was like wait what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> I watched it and I was like, wait, was that? No, wait, was it? My mom and I are going to, I'm going to take mom to go see it today. So maybe I'll catch it this time, but I did not catch it the first time. Um, Just watch the power lines. <laughs> um, but, and, and I really like Josh Brolin. Um, I really like Josh Brolin in general, but. Nah, really? I know, it's a problem. I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> I feel I need to apologize preemptively every time I say that. Um, but he. How many times did you check out the fish po photo this week? Uh, none, none. I actually, my mom was watching Extra, and they were talking to him about it. And she called me, and I was like, God <laughs> damn it, stop it with that fucking thing. Um, but he's really good. He's essentially just auditioning to play Kyle Reese in Terminator, and good goddamn let that happen, because I would actually be really happy about that. Um, but he's got a really good rapport with, uh, with Ryan Reynolds, and... I, I think once you get over, if you aren't immediately into the first 20 minutes, stick with it because it does, it does get better. But I was not immediately in love with this. Um, it, it took some time. And even at the end of it, I still really liked it, but I did not, um, come out like 
laughing my ass off much like I did in the first film. Um, and TJ Miller has no business being in this movie. There is not a goddamn good reason they could not have replaced him. I feel like they cut out some of his stuff because he's actually not in yeah. it as much as I expected him to be. And even which is and weird. Even then. And it, and it just makes the point that yeah, they could have cut him completely. They would have only had to reshoot a couple of things. And it would have or been they fine. could have just done what they did in the first film, which is literally have have some sort of reason to staple a face, a different face, onto his face. Right. Problem right, solved. Yeah. Problem fucking solved. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I and um, I I appreciate whoever in the cast or the directing chair decided that we just needed to have a lot of shirtlessness in this movie, and I support it. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Anything else we need to touch on before? I just want to add that I really want a a trio buddy movie with Letitia Wright and Tessa Thompson and Zazie Beetz because that would be amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I would so, <laughs> so be into that. Greenlight Bat movie, Hollywood. Once again, Citizen Dame just giving you ideas for multi-million dollar films. I mean, come on. And we're not even making you pay us for these ideas. Just let me hang out. Just away. let me hang out on set, okay? Yes. Just let me hang out on set. I mean, you are basically BFFs with Tessa. I so. know we are. I mean, just just can can we just give me Josh Brolin to like be my like guy Friday and just like hang out and I can stare <laughs> lovingly at him moonily. Um, what do we all have on tap for this week? Uh, ooh, on Monday I'm going to the. 13th annual Global Women's Rights Awards. God damn you, Karen. Stop being so awesome. <laughs> Tuesday. I'm very excited. Laura Dern is going to be there. Uh, tell her we love her. Um, I get will. her on the show, of course. Of course. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if Karen actually could pull that off, oh my god, that would be great. Um, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, I will finally get to go see Solo on Tuesday. Um, so there is that. Um, Lauren, what do you have on tap? I may try to go see Deadpool. I may try to go see Book Club. Um, I also tomorrow I am going to go sit and watch Jeremy Irons and Leslie uh, Manville in <laughs> God Tonight. damn it! Bam! I have to so, wait four more weeks. <laughs> so I am very excited about that. Okay, I oh, and tonight I'm going to Street Food Cinema's presentation of Wonder Woman. Woo-hoo! In a park with lots of friends. I'm excited. Lauren, um, I expect a full review of, of what I will be in store for uh, on Sunday. Yeah. Well, my, my roommate has actually already seen it, and, and he says just, like, it is brilliant and really hard to watch. <sighs> it's probably a good thing that I have four weeks, because I'm like, it hasn't hit me yet. I mean, it's hit me, but it hasn't made me, like, nervous. Um, so I'm pretty sure by the time I get to Karen... I'm going to be a big sweaty mess. Um, so Karen will be responsible for making sure that I don't overheat. Um, so yeah, yeah. I really need to get the air conditioner fixed. Oh yeah, because I'm going to be like, my temperature is going to be 100 just from just being in the area. Um, so yeah, and you... Dude. Oh, go on. Go on. I was just going to say, do we want to end with explaining the, the guy who's the, not the yes, other guy? Yes, 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 yes. The Courtney. not so, Jay Courtney, okay. but is Jay Courtney? I'm so I confused. found names. <laughs> so. <laughs> First of all, Kristen did not realize that Jay Courtney was in Suicide Squad. I so literally, that was, that was the problem. My mom was 
like, but you told me he was in that. I had, I literally blacked that out. I had no remembrance of him being in the movie. So when Lauren... And I want to say that when I finally looked him up yesterday, I was like, that is not at all who I thought Jay Courtney was. Exactly. So when Lauren <laughs> said, don't you mean Jai Courtney? And I said, no. And then later she said, but you said Jai Courtney wasn't in the guy in Suicide Squad. I, there's literally a beat. And I was like... Wait, is Jai Courtney in Suicide Squad? <laughs> so, learning is fundamental. Um, but I was conf- I confuse Joel Kinnaman with Boyd Holbrook. Neither one of which is Jai Courtney, but I am not convinced that they are not the holy trinity of basic white male because I Who the hell are they? Exactly, right? Like can you can you I'm not even kidding. What were those names again? Joel Kinnaman is the guy from Suicide Squad. <laughs> Which oh, and, oh okay yeah. Yeah. and Boyd Holbrook okay. is like the the super soldier that kind of runs Got and it, Boyd yeah. Holbrook okay. is the bad guy from Logan who is in the new Predator. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, that's exactly what I say. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. Um, I'm just saying, one of them ever commits a crime, nobody will be able to know which one did it. Like it'll it'll be the perfect <laughs> heist. Okay. Um, the the three of the three of them all need to be in a movie. Like to just and, confuse and just all of like, us. <laughs> It would just be called basic. This is the like movie. seriously like, when people kind of a, a tall <laughs> white guy. Oh, like when people say, "Oh, white people can't tell Asian people apart." I'm like, I don't have a problem telling Asian people apart. I can't tell white yeah, people apart. I can't apart. tell white men apart. Like y'all look the same. I and then you just you guys toss toss like Sam Worthington into. The oh, oh no! See, I can oh, yeah. I can tell Sam Worthington apart. He's short and he's got a weak chin and he's got brown hair. And he played a fake cripple in Avatar. So, nope, nope, nope. Can't throw him in there. Too too memorable for me. He has a weak chin. I think he has a weak chin. I don't know. I just want to punch him in it. That's all I know. So. <laughs> Anyways, you, you, need, you need to see the exception because Jay Courtney is actually not a bad actor. I'm just saying that. Mm, yeah, he's not. No. <laughs> um, I, you, have you seen the movie? No, I have not. Well, so there. Well, that's true. But, but you know how I feel about Jai <laughs> Courtney's stupid face that I can't tell the difference between anybody else's stupid face. Um, well, you will figure it out. <laughs> so uh, in terms of what we have on tap coming up, um, we are going to be uh, doing another Patreon bonus uh, geared towards Solo. That's going to be coming out soon. So if you were not a patron, you might want to head over to patreon.com slash citizen dame. And if you were had your heart set on uh, Sicario... We have found a way to make it work. We have found a really creative way to make it work. And I don't think we're going to spoil it. Correct, Karen? Correct. But it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, so expect expect some fun. Expect some content about junk and probably somebody saying John Bernthal is not hot. And then I'll have to backhand them because the response is, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, so that's a little preview of what you can expect. Um... So, anything else we need to throw out there, uh, other than the usual links and stuff? Any upcoming stuff we have? I keep, I feel like we're forgetting something. Um, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's it. Um, be sure to follow us at numerous, uh, in numerous different places. We are on uh, iTunes. We are also on uh, citizendame.podbean.com, and we're also on Spotify. Um, so please feel free to leave ratings, reviews, wherever there is the option to. Um, you can also check out our official Twitter and leave us questions, comments, games, suggestions at uh, Citizen Dame Pod. Uh, you can also, once again, subscribe for just a dollar 
to our Patreon and get exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash citizendame. And we also have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we do movie reviews, Citizen Dame Fives, and more. I think uh, this coming week, you can read my review of uh, Roll Red Roll, which is a documentary that I feel everybody should watch. Um, Kim also has her Feminist Fridays sections looking at classic film. And we also have our Citizen Dame 5 for this week, which did we decide what we're doing our Citizen Dame 5 on? Not guilty pleasures. Okay, so yeah, we contemplated doing people that could play Lord Byron, but I think that might be a little too niche. So, <laughs> so yeah, not uh, our top five not guilty pleasures. Because um, I feel no guilt. <laughs> I feel some guilt with my choices. You should. <laughs> I know your choices. You should. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what I'm gonna... Okay, throw out what you think would be on my five. Just throw one out. Just throw one out. I want to hear... I want to tell you you're wrong. Oh, I don't know off the top of my head movies, but I'm guaranteeing there will be something in there with Oscar Isaac in it. And I'm sure something with Josh Brolin. Uh, yeah, that's, that's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. Um, so yeah, and then you can also uh, visit our, you can also leave us emails. I'm trying to be better at checking the um, email, citizendamepod at gmail.com. Um, so if you have stuff that you don't want to share on the podcast, but you want to tell us something awesome, you should email us. Um, and then you can also hit up our individual Twitters. I am at journeys underscore film. Kim is at kpierce624. Kim, or Kim, Karen, where are you? K. Peterson. No, A- Karen M. Peterson. <laughs> 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 I almost gave out my email address. <laughs> it's, it's like when you forget your own name or something like that. It's just like, my name is let no way. <laughs> oh, it's embarrassing how many times I've spelled my name wrong. Um, <laughs> I am at Karen M. Peterson. M. <laughs> That's me. Lauren. I am at LH Business. So we will be back uh, next week. So leave us some questions, comments, whatever. Uh, until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hello there. Welcome back. I'm glad you could join me today. Let's just dive right in and run all the colors across the screen that you'll need to paint along with me. I have my regular old canvas here, wet and ready to go. Now, let's grab our trusty two-inch brush here. Whack that off real good. Just beat it like it owes you money. We're gonna get a little dab of our yellow snow here. We're gonna mix that with just another little dab of our Betty White. Now, let's just dance in a happy little sky. Now remember, this is your world. You get to make and break the rules here. Sweet baby Jesus. Wish I could jump in there and roll around in all that cascading white powder. Yeah, just get high in all of life's splendor. God, I love cocaine. So much. Holy fuck knuckles, I am high as a kite right now. Okay, let's paint in a few little happy trees there. Nothing wrong with making friends with trees. Now what you don't want to do is eat these paints. Trust me on this one.